Hello, everybody. We're coming in with kind of a cold start today because this is a PSA. As a listener of our show, The Soccer Dad Pod, first off, we appreciate the support and thank you for listening. But as you well know, music is super important to me, to my co-host, and to the show because it kind of sets the mood, sets the tone. But today, like I said, I have a PSA. I'm going to roll us in with our intro song for the day, and I've got serious issues with it, which brings me to, we're going to jump right in. First off, Zach, hello. How are you? You You doing good today? I'm doing good, man. Are you wondering what is going on? Uh, Yeah, I'm a little curious. Are you scared? Uh, No. All right, good. Uh, as you, as listeners know, and Zach, as you well know, uh, our friends over at the Pinnacle Loans, uh, continue to support the show and allow us to have more fun with it. A couple things with them first. Um, they have been kind enough, really extremely generous, and they have offered up not one, not two, but four City SC tickets for the Austin FC game. Austin FC, yeah. Uh, sent, me, sent me pictures of the seats. They're, they're pretty amazing. Section 143, down in the corner, about, says row five, but it's really row three because for some reason rows one and two don't really exist. No, yeah, makes sense. So you're row three. Um, and if you recall, remember Miggy's goal? Oh, yeah. You remember where he ran and slid? Oh, yeah. You could have given him a high five from there. Oh. So good seats. So now... What you need to do in order to have a chance to win those, just shoot us an email. SoccerDadPod at GaslightStudios.com. GaslightSTL.com. GaslightSTL.com. And shoot us your favorite episode. We're going to start there. Just shoot us your info, and we're going to accumulate these emails, and then we're going to random generate and pick one. And you will be the winner of four tickets to City versus Love it. Austin FC. So, without further ado... I'm now going to start, two and a half minutes into this episode, <laughs> our intro music. And this will be my pinnacle point of the day that I have an issue with. You ready? Yep. All right, here we go. Yes, I am already puking in my mouth. <laughs> Zach, why are you laughing? Because I wouldn't have put this on your playlist. <laughs> I think anybody that knows me knows that this would have never made my playlist. Uh, do you know the song? I know the song, the original version. Uh, yes, I think the whole world knows the original yeah, version. But I don't know who this is. This is yet another example of country music bastardizing good music, hmm. stealing it. Who is this? This is Luke Combs. Oh. This is like the number one song in country radio right now. His face is on the Miller Lite cans that you love so much. I do. I do love Miller Lite. Yeah. And I actually don't have a problem with Luke Combs. Oh, you just don't like the fact that this has been covered? No. Yeah. I get and it. I get it. it. It hit number one. Like Tracy Chapman gets her first number one hit song. I mean, she's going to get paid for it, right? I know. So here's my point. <laughs> why, do country, why, do, why do country artists keep stealing I don't think they steal. No, no, no. So they do. I'll be fair, and I am not uh, an apologist for country music in any way, shape, or form. But sampling has been going on in many other music genres. Much for, different, much different issue. I don't know. The other day, right? Uh, I believe the other, uh, Bush Stadium hosted not one but two nights in a row. 
Mr. Morgan Wallen. Yep. Who has a checkered past, to say the least. Sure. Um, but do you recall the song that broke him? It was the Isbell song. Yes. Cover yeah. Me Up. Yep, Cover Me Up. Isbell. Yep. And now Luke Combs. I mean, Luke Combs is already huge. Yeah. But what has now become cl- his biggest song, will probably will become his big- biggest song. Well, but your favorite artist rendition of Hallelujah is Jeff Beck. Jeff Buckley. Buckley. He didn't write that. I don't care. That's Jeff Buckley. Okay. Whole other right. subject. Just saying, just and he's not country. <laughs> <laughs> so my <clears throat> pinnacle point of the day is be creative. Make your own shit, people. Sure. Don't, you, don't steal. If you're going to steal it, do it like Jeff Buckley did. And do it with a little bit of class, a little bit of taste. <laughs> so let's move on. Point two. What, what do you got? So my pinnacle point is uh, Jacob Schaffelberg. And if you don't know who that is... Spell it. Then you did not watch the U.S. versus Canada <laughs> yeah. Gold Cup semifinals game <laughs> on Sunday night where Schaffelberg came in about the 65th minute, I believe. You're talking about the Canadian? Yes. Left a. winger with the mullet yep. and torched Brian Reynolds and our entire left side of the defense, or right side of the defense. You look good. And he put us in a situation where we had to go to penalty kicks at the end. So kudos to him um, for, and he's a Nashville MLS guy, so he's on um, Nashville FC, SC. Yeah. And uh, so he was, I think, I don't know if he scored against us or had an assist against City a couple weeks ago, but. He's a good player. Yeah. Um, you know, the big thing about that game is, uh, you know, of course, social media loves to hate. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I believe everybody's calling that version of the U.S. team uh, the C team. Uh, yes. Um, and, you know, a result is a result. They still got the win. They did. It was super sloppy. Um, Jesus Ferreira did not play well, in my opinion. Um, whether that's the expectations or pressure or just good defense, not sure. Uh, Cade Cowell looked okay coming off the bench. He's strong, though. He's very strong. I think he's freakishly strong. Yeah. A few times when he was tangling in tight yep. space. Yep. I think everybody kind of looks at him with the mullet and the previous mustache and all that. He has a certain kind of optical brand yeah. that he carries onto the field that creates assumptions. He's as 19 he was, years old. He's a, he's a puppy. Yeah. Tiny. But then, yeah. you know, when you look at him grind, he's, I mean, he's a man child. Yeah. I, I have a, a, a diversion, uh, pinnacle point three since Jared's not here, which, which is really, if you're going to go to the Katy trail and bike with your buddies, <laughs> have a backup inner tube and tools so that when your tire pops, halfway through a 12 mile ride you don't have to ride back with a flat back tire you're speaking out of experience yeah sunday well um yeah. that's called not preparing uh, that's what i'm saying psa okay well Point. so that's two psas for the day yeah number yeah. one don't listen to country music stars that cover music <laughs> good music and keep a in <laughs> a bicycle tube in your backpack at all times speaking of bicycles i think we should make the transition well i think here's what we're going to do uh, what I want to bring up was the last episode real quick. Oh, yeah. Dave Ehrenberg, yeah. Ladue High School men's and women's coach. Um, for those of you that listen to it, you know what we're talking about. For those of you that haven't, let me just say this. We've had a lot of incredible guests on at all different levels. Great stories um, from pro to amateur and everything in between. The response to this particular episode has been statistically off the charts. Off the charts. Uh, it, is, it is outperforming um, our average by 2x, 3x maybe. Yeah. And the topic was simply high school versus academy. 
and I'm simplifying this too much, but the gist is Dave clearly, based on his title, <laughs> was in favor and defended high school soccer. We didn't necessarily defend and back outright academy yeah. and the academy process. We just understand it. We live it, right, through our kids, et cetera. And we talk to a lot of people that benefit from it, that are in the, you know, the, the mud of it. Yep. And it has created a real fervor of uh, a, a lot of people demanding or wanting more conversations like that. Um, if you have a kid anywhere near the game, boy or girl, coming up through the ranks, specifically, you know, fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, and they're maybe overperforming, maybe wanting to perform better, and you're expecting to make a decision in two to three years as to high school versus academy, what your options are, go, go check it out. Yeah, and also remember that we have different perspectives for a, a variety of reasons. And where you live and where you get your, your paycheck, so to speak, also has an impact on your philosophy there. And I think our guest today can speak to it a little bit. Yep. And by the way, speaking of high schools, where are we today, JB? We're in the lion's den. That's right. We're in enemy territory. We are absolutely. I can't, I hesitate to admit <laughs> where we're at because all my OGs will be like, cheater. <laughs> we are at, thanks to Mr. Terry Mickler, Coach Mickler, we are actually recording this at the CBC off of 40. Um, so thank you, Coach Mickler, for making the connection and inviting us in. Uh, our guest today. We, we did not have to go to the other side of the pond. He came our way. Yes. So, and we found, research has shown, that when we do have guests that have foreign accents, our numbers go up. So you're going <laughs> to love this episode. And when we're, when we're done with this quick break, we will, uh, we'll jump right in because we're going we're gonna to kind of carry on from the last episode. And we're going to talk about development. We're going to talk about youth. We're going to talk about uh, strategies and training, what to expect, and probably clogs and windmills and, and, and Dutch cheese while we're at it. Sound good? Zach, you ready? I'm, I'm stoked, man. All right. Now, here's what we're going to do. I actually like this one. You like this one? We're going to roll out to it. This is Luke Combs. Uh, no. You don't know this one? I don't know. This one's uh, right? beautiful crazy. See, he co-wrote this one. Okay. Creative. I'm, I'm cool with this. We'll be right back. See you, people. Yo, Jared here. Remember the pool pandemic of 2021? I was infected. I needed my own oversized oasis in Winslow. I needed a simple solution to pay for it. So I reached out to my favorite undefeated CBC freshman standouts, Bill and Chris, at The Pinnacle Loans. Long story short, I have my pool. It's a flipping hammer. The loan process with those guys was so simple. Even I did it. Now, every time I get in my pool to drink ice cold beer, I can thank the team over at ThePinnacleLoans.com. That's ThePinnacleLoans.com. 20 and 0 as freshmen? Really? We're back. What do you say, Zach? You like this one? A little better vibe. I love the piano, so I like it. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit, it. a little better vibe. It's not stolen either. Oh, this is, this is original. It's original. Is this one of your Kellens? 
Keller. I have missed on so many things today. Good lord. No, this, this band would be Coldplay. Oh, I've heard of those guys, yeah. But there's a reason why I played the song. Because I always do deep diving research on my guest. And, yeah. I, and I try to guess what that walk-up song would be, right? Um, and most of the time, we're dealing with a Yankee, a Yank. Uh, and I can usually go to their hometown or state and pick up Bruce Springsteen. Like, you know, for Donegan, it was easy. We go with the boss. Sure. Uh, DeMarcus Beasley, a little tougher because Indiana, not as many rock stars. I still, I still say. But for our guest today, I had to get creative because there's not a lot of rock and roll bands out of the Netherlands. <laughs> he's going he's, he's to correct you. He will be. <laughs> so I went with Amsterdam. Yeah. By Coldplay. Yeah. And today our guest is, and Jan. I'm gonna let Zach, Zach take it over Jans. because my enunciation skills are Jans. a C minus. Jan's prime. Prime. How you Correct. doing, Jan? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Are you uh, Are you super excited to do this today? <laughs> I'm super excited. That's one. <laughs> and I like to add that I saw that was the connection that you checked where Coldplay is playing, and they are playing this week, end of this week in Amsterdam, in nice. the Amsterdam Arena. So that is double. Double connection. Dude, these, I mean, these stars, what, what did we just talk about before we came on yeah. the air? We were talking about a potential guest, and I believe you had reached out, made the connections. I hit the guest up, who's part of the U.S. national team camp. Yep. He didn't get back to me over the weekend, but as we're on break, ready to roll you on, who calls me? Guest to be. Yep. And then we pick Amsterdam Coldplay, and they're in Amsterdam. This week, this end week. of this week, July 14th, I think three concerts in a row. Amsterdam really? Arena. Johan Cruyff Arena, by the way. That's Cruyff Arena? Cruyff Arena, yes. I mean, isn't everything in the Netherlands named after Cruyff at this point? More and more. More and more. The longer it takes <laughs> since he passed away, more streets and stadium. It's only one stadium, but well, he's still recognized as a legacy. Amsterdam and Barca. Cruyff yeah. is, is... I mean, he, he really has two homes. Yeah, yes. it's there. Yeah. And I think... Uh, so, uh, we've never talked about this, but one of the potential guest is Brian Jones. He used to be a goalie coach for STLC. He's now down in Carolina. Mm -hmm. He was good friends with uh, a gentleman who started an academy over in Barca. And I believe he married Johan Christ's daughter. Todd Bean. Yep. Todd, Todd Bean. Tovo. And uh, I think that would be an interesting conversation at some point. Just the U.S. connections plus the, the European side of things. But let's I want to talk. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're on it. I'm on it. Well, let, I mean, I'll get my people on it. Let's just start right. Let, let, let's start with, you know, we, we, we read up on you. We, I, I've known about you for a long time through the camps that you've been working here at CBC with Coach Mickler for, for a long time. Uh, and some of the other coaches, dads that have kids that have come up through the system, they've, they've, they've mentioned you for a long, long time. Um, but the thing that amazes me, when, when you go to the Dutch Touch page and you read, you know, if one were to read your bio, you know, and how you, you know, where you're from and your pathway through parts of Europe and through Africa and South Africa and beyond, I got, how do you end up in St. Louis, Missouri? <laughs> because that's not exactly, you know, in the same hemisphere there. No, that has to do with Coach Michael. I mean, everything has to do with connections and on the other side with friendships and with recognizing who is the person and who is the other person like me. And then when 
coach Mikkel came, I think, in the mid-90s, one time to Holland with an NCAA coaching group, and I was conducting that course with another uh, Dutch FA coach instructor. There were 20, 10, 12 coaches in that group, mm -hmm. but since that moment, we are in touch, you know, 10 years, I think, with whatever way, maybe calling, email was maybe not that great already in those days, sure. but anyway, around 2005, six when he called me first time, he said, are you interested in a camp in St. Louis? Already after, I think, 20 years being a camp, since 1983, I'm coming into America for running camps, Midwest soccer, you know, sure. I have a long history in, in running in the summer soccer camps. I said to Terry, hey, this is a good moment that we are trying to get in touch in a personal way, coming to St. Louis, find out how things are going and take it from there. And that's history and, and that's the way I came into St. Louis. So I got to ask when you first met him and he came up and you guys, because obviously there wasn't, you know, modern day cell phones or anything. Did he have his little notebook? Did he pull out his notebook and start? <laughs> Every coach had, but probably he was the one that was written most of the 10. Right. And asking most of the time also questions. So he showed already that time the interest for Dutch soccer. But anyway, also to learn from the game, from the 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 two Dutch FA coaches. So, so let me ask you this then. You're, you know, in, in that initial interaction uh, with Coach Mickler and agreeing to do the camp, um, when you did come over here and you started working with him and working with the kids here in our backyard, I'm assuming you probably got a little bit of a history lesson or tutorial of the school and its history and, you know, the successes that CBC had up to that point. Uh, what was your initial thought of or opinion of the game, of the players, of the quality of uh, uh, the, the camp participants in the early mid-90s when you first came over here, uh, here in St. Louis? Now, the first thing I can say is since 83, I'm, I'm running, I'm not running, I was in camps involved, and, and then the first 10 years, I think mainly, you know, in the Midwest, Ohio, mainly in that in that area um, I, you saw the impact of soccer camps you know paying a lot having a lot of numbers in the camps but recognizing that let's say 80 percent mm -hmm. was more rec and 10 20 percent maximum was players with a certain passion and also with a certain quality you know and in the 20 years i saw in that way maybe the numbers going down already a little bit i'm not saying that camps were finished but you saw a different change but sure. overall, an improvement of the players that were in the camp. You know, the rec players were becoming better, a little better. The better players were also improving. So when I started here in two, 2007 with Dutch Touch camps at CBC, I knew already that it was all a little better than I started 20 years ago. Yeah. And then it's a matter of, okay, if you start an elite camp or a, a, a camp with a certain recognition that it is Dutch Dutch, you expect that most of the players that will come to that camp are, I'm not saying talented or elite, but more players than call it just direct players. We're still respecting direct, respect, the direct players. Sure. Go ahead, Zach. No, just I want to ask kind of on those lines, you've been doing Dutch Touch now for 16 years. Correct. And JB kicked off the show talking about how our last episode was a, a direct conversation about 
high school sports versus academies. 2007 was kind of, 2007 to 2012 or so were the last kind of years here in St. Louis where the high school sport of soccer dominated the area. We had clubs. Exclusively. But they were very yeah. exclusive. And you did not just get to be on one of the top teams. You had to be selected and called in and try out and all those things. Since then, the landscape has changed here in the U.S. A heavy focus on youth soccer at very early ages where you have clubs across the country that most kids are joining now. And so the rec part of soccer is almost... It's not even really existent very much, at least not in the St. Louis. So have you noticed a delta or a difference in not just the quality, but the presence of those players at the Dutch Touch camp since maybe 2014 versus 2007? Yeah, in that way, you recognize that we're losing. The, we, it's more that you don't see, call it the potential uh, players that we had the first six or eight years. And I think it had to do with, call it uh, A, uh, also clubs running soccer camps now, or in a certain way running a summer program or everything included in the annual fee. Right. You know, So uh, the clubs are saying, are not, are not saying don't go to Dutch Dutch, but we have also offering something what is good training and part of the annual fee. So why you should spend a certain amount to go to this one week a year activity. You know, it's a little bit different. But so there's more to, competition. There is more competition. Right. But back to, again, you see that in general, and, and that has to do, I think, with the last four or five years, what I understood and what I recognize and what I hear, that more and more call it elite or players that have a certain name within the team and within the club, ECNL, uh, MLS Next, I don't know all the names that are going around or flying around. They have more and more tournaments. Yes, regionals, nationals, I don't know which right. all the tournaments they are going to yeah. are so so uh, packed into the overall annual year calendar that kids do not have time to come to one week of Dutch Dutch elite camps. That's the other downside of this, what is happening now. Well, let me let me ask you this because you've you've you, your path has taken you all over the world. You you've predominantly worked at the youth level. Uh, you know, a couple short stints of a time in which you were scouting at the professional level. Um, let me ask your opinion, just from bouncing around into you know significantly different uh, demographics and cultural circles and environments. Um, just just gut opinion of the quality of the U.S. player when you did first come here working on the early camps, you know, over those years and, you know, and the progression of the U.S. player compared to, for example, what you were doing in South Africa or Ghana or, you know, parts of, you know, some of the clubs that you worked with in the Netherlands. Where, where, what's your opinion of the American youth player over that time frame compared to other global players at a young age? In, in, in any way, you see that the game is improving here, you know? So the better players are getting better in terms of what was, I think, 10, 15 years, 15 years ago, and what it is now. But I'm looking a little bit in the overall picture, then finally, you're lacking in a certain way uh, a, a strict pass to 
the top or to uh, a goal where any young player in, call it an age of 12, 13, is coming in and what is finally his end or what is his final step mm. between being uh, an under 19, under 18 high school senior player or a player that is finishing academy and stepping into the professional ranks or stepping into the division one. That is something what is so wide in terms of options and, and, and everything what is happening in those five, six, seven years right. that you do not know exactly if it comes through where he's looking for. I'm not saying that it is in Europe uh, better, but I think they have a better overall pass system. that guarantees system, that's the right word for it, and an overall environment in terms of leaks. Can, yeah, can, you, can you talk to that though? Can you walk our audience through what that system looks like? And you can be as broad as you want as far as Europe, or you can be specific about Holland or yeah yeah I would say be specific to the Dutch style because you know we can we can we can fast forward all the way to December of this past year with the World Cup and you know the game between the Netherlands and the United States and we all know the result of that game and our best were simply not good enough and I and I think there is a correlation between your national system and our national system. So talk no, about but, but, that, but that is that is the key, I think, in this whole situation. And again, you can't compare an, uh, a big nation or a big country as America in comparison with, let's say, Germany or Italy or England, all, all smaller. You know, yeah. Europe, Europe is simple, maybe the same size as, as America or maybe still smaller. But it has to do with what you mentioned, system. It has to do with vision. Yes, what is the vision from A, the Dutch or the German FA in terms of how do we raise and develop our system in coaching, education and everything what is part of that. And it has to do with a plan, you know. And the last thing is, in my opinion, something what is finally still here lacking. You know, I, I, I heard about and I know from Terry and from all the high school coaches that I know a little bit the history and importance of the high school game right. since... How many years? You know, that's an institute. Correct. That's with all the American sports. Soccer in college, in high, st in high schools are part of the overall soccer life in general. But back to that point, you know, that is something, you know, what is here, in my opinion, still longer term, something what still doesn't help the overall improvement from a pay player. And what I'm, I'm trying to say yep. in terms of the plan in Holland, each club from the top Ajax, Feyenoord, PSV, until, and also a lot of amateur, top amateur clubs, they have a plan with youth academy teams. When you are in the under 12, you will get this type of training. We will do this for you. We have a plan. If you come two years later in the under 14, you will have almost the same training tools. We do it a little bit with different ads in terms of more tactically, a little yeah. bit more. You know, the pass is simple set by, I'm not saying a five-year plan, and that is called the key in terms of European soccer. Crescent Plumbing Supply helps save marriages. Really, as families grow, kitchen and bath needs change rapidly. Designing and choosing the right fixtures takes way more skill than just scrolling Pinterest. Staying on budget and avoiding those foreign language order sheets, that's not easy. Lucky for you, the local team at Crescent Plumbing Supply, they are experts. They can help you ditch the baby's tub for a teenage shower and upsize that kitchen sink 
for all those tumblers, rosé glasses, and sports water bottles. So, when you're ready for that kitchen or bath makeover, go to crescentsupply.com. That's crescentsupply.com. It's cheaper than a therapist. Well, let me let me kind of put it to you this way and ask your opinion on where the states are currently, because uh, you know I'm listening to you and in, in, in reflecting to the previous episode uh, where there was a you know a health healthy debate regarding high school versus academy, et cetera. In your world, where you where you cut your teeth and grew up and, and thrived, there was no such thing as high school soccer. There was no such thing as university soccer. Everything was club-based. It was community, then club, and then advanced club, pro club, etc. So everything was a, a very linear path, right? Where here in the States, up until, like Zach pointed out, really 07 through 12, when academies started really flourishing, and MLS started to develop more of a, uh, a strategy to address youth development uh, at a higher level, you know, expanding the league, et cetera. Do you think that the improvement, the expansion, the popularity of MLS in the States, and by default, the rise of uh, the number of MLS academies and the quality of the players, do you think that those are things that point in a positive direction for U.S. soccer overall compared to the Dutch model as it sits today? 100% that will fit better the future for MLS or in general U.S. soccer without a doubt you know more important for me or not important for me but in general for call it the American society and the soccer the soccer community is in which way you try to make that happen what I'm trying to say with this is that I heard and I had a very nice visit at the St. Louis FC Academy you know, mm-hmm. I saw everything, what is happening there. You know, I can only say big compliment, big compliment. And, and, a, and, a, and a good example, I think, for future MLS teams because they will see the academy. And that was, I was four years at Ajax. And the main thing at Ajax that I learned was, and not, not learned, that you recognized and that what the players recognized. If you came in as an under eight, under nine, you started far away from the academy ground. Mm-hmm. But if you were looking up, you saw the Amsterdam Marina those days. You know, yeah. so the closer you came, and when you're under 19, you played at the top field from the academy, you could still look from the warming up on the field, hey, there is the yeah. arena. That's my next session. You put, know, put, here. Put, put the dream right in front of your face. Oh, yeah. That's, but, but that is, I don't know how it is in all the other teams. I heard that not too many have the yeah. academy ground next to the nice yeah. stadium, another very big compliment. But in general, you know, the starting point and everything what facilitates this academy is very important or is very good laid out very good based but one of the things that i heard and again from people that maybe not so academy related or better to say not in favor of academy is that certain teams they have a lot of numbers in the teams let's say 30 in an under 15 and that only the the best 15 are playing and the other players are waiting still they can wait for another opportunity but in in Holland, in, and I think in most of the European countries, there is one count for having a very good opinion on a player after a season. If you play 30 games, then at least half of the game time from those 30 games, mm-hmm. the player must be in the field to show his weaknesses and his strengths. You know, So what I'm saying is the key for future 
in terms of academy teams, don't bring in so many players and leave, I'm not saying the weakest, but the youngest players right. for a year on the side and give them only game time in friendlies or maybe in some tournaments because in that year, a player doesn't grow. Yeah, because tra training is one thing. Game skills are a whole other Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. You know, being able to compete, you know, because you can train. Yes, there's competition and training. There's, sure. you know, et cetera. But you really need game time. I, I, I have a follow-up to that, and it's a, it's a constant debate on this show. And mostly <laughs> yeah. from our, our local yes, audience. Tyler, Tyler Childers is the best. <coughs> Luke Combs is a poser. <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> is in the U.S., Obviously, we have the high school and university athletics, which is different than most countries outside of North America. But there's another lore that in order to be a successful professional athlete in the United States, you have to be a multi-sport athlete as a child. And my counter has always been that in most of the countries that are kicking our ass internationally, that's the sport that they play from the time they're six till whenever. And so I would love for you, Jan, to either prove me wrong or give some nuance to it. But the idea that a, a, a youth needs to have basketball, soccer, football, hockey, track, cycling, cycling, <laughs> you know, uh, cricket, wh whatever that might be. And I would love to get your perspective as somebody who did not grow up here, um, that did not have the same systems and just want to get your thoughts there. If I understand your question, then I think Holland, and that is the country where I'm being most and have the most experience and, and recognition of this is that um, most of the soccer players that are well known or quality soccer players, probably they played their game from six, seven, eight, nine years on, first in amateur level when they are finally good and picked by a club, they're coming into the club. And then in the six, eight, ten years that were still left before making the final jump into the team, it was soccer only, you know. So the good, no, I can't say the good, but the thing in Holland and I think in most of the countries in Europe, if I look then to Europe, wider than, than Holland, that is the case. That's one, but more important that, and that has to do with, with finally a plan that brings, yeah. call it the, the now those days, those years, the players with lacking of physical education in the school, a little bit lack of, you know, what we had in the past. You you jumped over uh, walls, you were climbing in trees, you know, <laughs> yeah. becoming a little bit Go more an me. overall athlete that yeah. was lacking or is lacking the last 10 years. So all the top teams in Holland are trying to create in a certain way an environment that overall in improving, call it, your toughness. Your, your toughness, your physical ability, more than only touching the ball in a proper way and using your mind, then that is, the Ajax was the first team that started with judo, with doing gymnastics oh, okay. uh, in, in, call it, in, was, in the younger ages, you know, so. Was, was that a Cruyff? That was probably prior? against Cruyff's uh, vision, because Cruyff was, I think, playing only, having the talent and trying to create a certain plan where everything was based on ball, on tactical awareness yeah. and everything. Okay. But I mean, there is more than Cruyff in that way. And sure. I think that is, the, the, no, but that is the newest generation. I'm not from the older generation, but I recognize that nowadays you have people with so much knowledge 
offside the knowledge of the soccer coaches that will contribute a lot in the last three years of becoming finally a well-developed soccer professional. And that is, I think, all over Europe happening big time in terms of the academies are getting stronger and stronger. And that is, it was maybe 10 years ago, 80% soccer education, soccer training. Now it is 60% soccer education, technical, technical, everything, and 40% physical, mental, individual, uh, everything. And that is, I think, something that is helping a lot. I love that answer, and it helps. And then we're going to roll out for a, a quick break here. Well, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask one. Hold your question, because yeah. I want to do a closing question before a quick break here in regards to youth uh, development in, in the Netherlands in particular, um, cost, that being the cost to play. Because here in the States, there's this constant debate, not only of high school versus academy and, you know, ECNL versus, uh, you, you name it, all the acronyms are everywhere. But then the bigger uh, debate, uh, frustration is cost. The whole, you know, the saying, pay to play. Um, because here, an average academy club or just really a select club, you're looking at an annual fee of low end of a thousand, upwards of three thousand to four thousand dollars a year for a kid to play, and then there's all the uh, auxiliary expenses, you know, travel, the, the travel, gear. gear, and food, and everything else. It adds up significantly, and and God forbid you have two or three. You know, the kids that yeah. are in the system, uh, that's a big, big investment. What does the financial landscape look in the Netherlands, which is arguably, I mean, it, it's a powerhouse. It's a global powerhouse in the sport. And my question is, what's the correlation or what's the expense to families, to youth in the Netherlands to participate? If I tell you their numbers, then you start laughing. I, I fully because anticipate. Because I, I, I plan on crying. <laughs> because it's simple. I think the maximum, if, you, if I'm talking first of all on an amateur club, so players that are playing from four or five, no, yeah, I think four or five it's starting now until 18, but that's the same for call it all the senior members. They have a roughly average, no better, maximum annual fee to play soccer of 200 euro a year. So let's say maximum $250 and everything is included in that. Okay, so you do realize that's like one of our bar tabs. Yes. <laughs> you know, so. And in that, way, in that way, everything is covered. That's one. You know, how do the clubs get their money? You know, uh, the Dutch FA is also not sponsoring, but giving subsidies sometimes to clubs. You know, more cities are subsidizing now, call it... Um, uh, families that can't afford anymore because uh, unemployed, you know. Sure. So the city is then helping a family that can't pay those 200 euros. And we have now enough uh, through the difference after COVID, you know, certain things are changing. So any player at the moment in Holland can play soccer. It doesn't matter his background of his family. That's one. More important, all the, the, the professional clubs now, like here now in the MLS teams, right. they, they pay for everything, you know. Um, so that is another thing. The, the, the last thing also to have that said, if a player from an amateur club is, is going as a 15-year-old into the club, then 
and he will sign a professional contract. The club will pay, let's say, 10,000 euro per year between 12 years and 15 years old. So that club will get 30,000 euro, yes, oh, as, as, as a certain development cost into the amateur club. Maybe like, the figures like, are not Like a royalty. A certain royalty. That's awesome. Right. I have a follow-up we'll, we'll get to after the break. Okay, we'll do that because we're going to roll out here. Um, Elvis Costello and the Attractions. It's New Amsterdam. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep them coming. <laughs> keep rolling. <laughs> we'll be right back, people. The term staycation was really invented by soccer moms. Located one hour and seven minutes from the arch, the Music Box Chalet at Innsbruck is a hidden gem. Buried in three acres of private woods, the Music Box has a master suite for just you a loft and second bath for them, and a vinyl collection to meet your every mood. The full-size kitchen will easily accommodate three to 12 bottles of rosé, while the huge fire pit seating area will keep the big kids busy. Golf, fishing, kayaking, pickleball, or simply reading a book with Mother Nature, all at your fingertips. Visit either VRBO or Airbnb to find the Music Box Chalet. And now, back to those guys. We're back, people. Oh, is this Amsterdam? I'm just kidding. No, but there's an Amsterdam story, Zach. Come on. You you know me. I know. You do know who this is, right? This is you, too. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> who is it? Hold on. I know, I know this. Oh, my God. Okay. The pitfalls of growing up in Washington, Missouri in a Southern Baptist household. Okay. The Stones. Sorry. This would be the Rolling yeah, Stones. I, like I said, I just needed to hear a little <laughs> of the voice. <laughs> That's all right. Jared would have said Beatles. I miss Jared. Jared. I do too. We got to work on that day job, Jared. Yeah. I I, I pushed for hooky today and yeah. uh, got no response. No, that was a hard no. Uh, so the reason why I'm playing Rolling Stones is because in one of my collegiate spring break trips to Europe, because I had a couple of players that I played with in, in college that were from, uh, uh, he, he was from Leon C, which was on the southern tip of London, right on the Thames River. And we took a weekend trip to London. That would be Amsterdam. Oh, well, you said you, you were You forgot going, our guess. I'm, I'm I know. I'm I, okay. Yeah. Again, I'm And we walked super into a coffee shop for clearly Folgers. And uh, the bartender comes running in and was like, check it out. I got my tickets. And we're all like, sweet. Well, number one, he was, he was yelling in a foreign language. And we were like, awesome. <laughs> we had somebody translate for us. <laughs> and apparently the Rolling Stones threw a pop-up concert in the, in the Dom. You know, the Central Square in Amsterdam was supposed to be that night. And we kept drinking Folgers. <laughs> Didn't make it. So that's, that's Drink, my answer. I'm going to write that. Drinking Folgers. <laughs> We're back, Jan. Um, th th this is fun because we, we, we live in a bubble here. On, on, not only on this show, but with our guests and with a lot of our listeners, we have conversations that tend to be so uh, geographically centric, you know, with what we're dealing with here in St. Louis. Uh, you know, and there's a little bit of an expansion into U.S. soccer in general. So to have you on and <clears throat> kind of lay out this compare and contrast and you know what what works what doesn't work is is really cool and zach you had you you had a question yeah i had a follow-up to our discussion before the end of the break around 
the concept of the system, right? So here in the US, JB laid it out very clearly that at a certain age, depending on the capabilities or <laughs> perceived capabilities of your child, you may choose to take them out of the rec league that you've been not paying for very much and put them in a new club setting where they're going to get, you know, 10 months of training um, out on the pitch with, you know, paid coaches, Friday night light style or something like that. And there's a ton of choices here in St. Louis specifically about 20 plus clubs at any given time. So my question to you, Jan, is when you talk about that model where the club is the arbiter of the vision of their strategy, of their style, parents don't pay more than 200 euro for their kid. What is the choice or the options look like for a kid, you know, at five years old in, you know, a, 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 a town in the Netherlands? Is it 20 clubs or is it one or two? Just kind of walk us through what that landscape looks it, like. It depends. It depends where you live. I mean, in a bigger city, you have also 15, 15 clubs, maybe, maybe in Amsterdam and around, uh, 15 around in, Amst in Rotterdam, uh, in, in the cities, let's say on the east side, I come from Nijmegen and in Nijmegen, I think you have seven or eight amateur clubs. Yes. And in the village around, some have three or four still in a village of uh, Kruisbeek, where I'm, I'm living in, they have five still. But that's, that has to do with the history of, of the clubs. You know, if you're born from a, a red, white club, you will be always in use playing for that red, white club. When it was a black, yellow club, you know, the connection with the history of the club throughout the generation in your families is first of all, still in Holland, a big thing in terms of where do you bring your kid when he is turning four or five? So you have a connection, you know, down the line, then it is still in an age of eight, nine, you know, families are recognizing, hey, my kid, or better to say, he will show and he will tell, I love playing, I like to become a professional, that type of, of talking. And then parents are looking for better options if the club where he started is a club from the family where he is a little bit connected with, and then they are looking for clubs that have already a better youth program. Because it's simple, the smaller clubs still are lacking finally longer term, the quality no under 19 in, in a full strength. Combination of clubs is happening now a lot, as also in Holland, we're losing a little bit the interest for playing soccer. So those are all certain combinations. But back to your point, then I think finally, with always having exclusions, that down the line between eight, nine, recognizing a first um, identity of having quality, better than all the others in an amateur club in that in that level as well speaking out i like to become a soccer player having the right mentality like to go three times in training instead of two times in my amateur right. club parents are looking then for better clubs maybe 15 miles away from where they live they bike to the club 50 miles is still an option to bike not always parents are bringing them but anyway you know the overall future of uh, a player is finally set by the right choices of the parents in the beginning and in 1516 the parents will tell hey you like to play if you go for that club and maybe they are picked by soccer clubs then already but still you have late 
potential players that still like to show, hey, the last three years of my youth period, I like to go with a team that is playing still division soccer in Holland. I will pick my bike and I bike now the 15 miles because my parents are not able or willing right. to do that. So it's an overall combination that I think in general in Holland, I'm talking to Holland, but I look, it looks that, that there's more and more in the countries around Holland that everything is based on a more realistic point of the, the right quality in combination with the right mentality and the options that are there around. So let me, let me parlay that into this final statement, JB, and then I want you to jump in here. Yeah, go ahead. I think the biggest missing piece between what you're explaining on the Holland side, and I would imagine that's very similar to other neighboring European countries and here, is that you could have a kid in the US pick a city that's paying to be on an MLS Next Academy at the age of 17, who really has no business being in that academy, realistically. Yeah, but based on what? Based on a variety of factors. What I'm getting at is that that wouldn't happen in the European system because that kid would have phased out. He well, wouldn't have been picked up by a club because they were only taking the kids that really deserve to be there. But I, but I think I think there might be a correlation though going back to the 200 euro per family. You know, from the lowest level, you know, clubs up through, if you have a static benchmark, the same amount, right? Whether it's a A team or A level club, B level club, C level club all the way down and say you have an F level kid who's paying 200 and you know, they, they advance coaches like, yep, you're good enough. You get to go to E and so on and so forth. At some point, doesn't the system flush out whether or not a kid uh, deserves to be at whatever level? Um, and my point is like here in the MLS, who, who are we, who, who are any of us to say a kid doesn't deserve to be on a particular team as long as they're competing and the finances make sense, whether it's expensive or otherwise, where's where's the harm you know because in your system it's it sounds to me as if it's more fluid that it's more pure in so much that player development and player passion and all of those things might be a little bit easier to identify uh, because the system is a little bit more uh, universal it's the same access does that make sense Mm. Not really. Mm -mm. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in circles a little bit because we have two totally different systems. Your system works, has worked for generations at the highest level globally. Our system has morphed and changed and there's been iterations of it on and on and on. Now we are becoming better at the national level. Our professional teams are becoming better at the professional level, our players that are that are, are in Europe at this point are becoming legitimate players on high-level teams. So that's all moving in the right direction. But I, I, what, where do you see this going next? What do, what do you, you're, you're a consultant for U.S. soccer. What do you say? <laughs> no, one of the main things, and again, it, it, it is changing the last two or three years when there was one uh, institute uh, lost in, in the US, I don't know which institute it was, it is now MLS Next, it is ECN, you know, so there are different or institute organizations now running, call it the overall leagues or tournaments 
in, 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 in Europe, it's simple. Every FA or England or Germany or Holland or Belgium, they are running the league, they are running tournaments. You have individual tournament at the end of the season, but that is by invitation only. But the rest is all set. That is that is one. I think what is most, yeah. Um, so, so are you saying that you believe U.S. soccer should get more involved in having a say in the structure? I think it should. Who I am, coming from far, you have here two different institute of running coaches clinic. It is USSF and it is NCAA. You know, right? Again, who I am to say you have to go back into one system. It are all simple for me points that it is going one way or it is going the other way. You know, that is one. But back to Holland and in that way, it's still not easy in terms of creating a very compact, competitive situation in terms of all the academy teams only from the uh, uh, MLS teams to have a nationwide league. You know, now still uh, Boston Bulls, uh, Scott Gallagher, uh, any clubs uh, is involved in, in terms of trying to compete with. Got it. That, that is still something that unfortunately it's unfair. You can say you can, as a Scott Gallagher, compete with Lewis City FC, but two, five years down the line, then it is simple. I think every MLS academy is improved in that way that they are far better with the better players that are coming in, better developed, that you cannot compete with that. Well, okay, so that, that, that's opened the door for me to a topic that I'm super curious about. Um, and, and that is specifically when you look at the Dutch uh, team, you, even when you look at uh, clubs like Ajax and PSV, um, there's a defined style. You can claim you know, Dutch style soccer at a national team level and at your highest level professional squads. Same can be said in Germany, uh, same can be said in Brazil. Uh, you know, these, these national powerhouses have defined styles. Uh, the Dutch system is clearly influenced by everything that Cruyff did, you know, in the transition through to total football, right? Um, we don't have that. <laughs> U.S. soccer has mass has size we have population we have you know the northeasterners we've got the southwestern quad you know uh, individuals we got midwesterners and all of us have not only different cultures we have different demos we've got different styles how do you, how would you address that you know because us soccer there's there's no reason given our population given our economics, given our facilities, given, you know, the ability to bring in coaches and training staffs, et cetera, there's no reason we shouldn't be thriving at a much higher level. But in my opinion, it's because we don't have a style. So whenever kids start to mix up onto teams that are like the next level team, well, you, you got kids coming from three, four, five different programs that all play a different way. Whereas in the Netherlands, everybody kind of plays to a degree, same style. How, how do you fix that here? And do, and do you think that it's a, a, a bigger problem than what it is? I think it's not easy to fix, honestly. And, and again, that has to do again with Dutch FA in, in my situation. And, and more and more also German, they came, I think, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, was having a lot of 
doing a lot of research in Holland. How how did this happen the last 10 or 15 years? They, I think they learned a lot from what they got in Dutch FA in terms of coaching philosophy, in coaching education, in this and that, that Summer was the guy, the old player from Dortmund and from Bayern Munich, that was those days the technical director. And he had a big influence in the change of how the Germans were playing, let's say, until, when was it, 2006, when they had a very bad tournament or maybe a little bit later. But anyway, yeah. you see now that most of... and. The Dutch, uh, sorry, the German national teams as well. The teams in in Germany in general, they have a more playing style than it was before. And I think Holland was for them one connection that they thought, hey, we have to do it different in our use system in terms of how do you develop a player in a certain ranks. It is not only running and trying to win and score the, in the last minute the goal, what was always an issue with the German teams, but it has to do with thinking, with a certain more awareness, you know, and that is, I think, something what is here still lacking. For me, one of the keys that I try to bring in and what they pick up in the five days that are in Dutch Touch here in this week, they must focus a little bit more. It's a simple word, but then I'm trying to say what is focusing now? Focusing is just being more aware in which position are you now in this type of game. Look where space is, look around over your shoulder, you know, think a little bit more. What is a certain exercise? What does that mean? And in that perspect of the game, I think we are still lacking a lot that can be a first help that a player finally is developing a little bit in a different way. One yeah. of the keys that I think is in general in Holland something every Dutch player that will finally make the move from Ajax, Feyenoord, PSV or any other team that is playing professional now outside of Holland is that his tactical awareness is very well developed and that means that if he goes to Italy and they play in a complete different system, not playing 4-3-3, the tactical information and uh, quality that he has will help and that is for me a key, that is something what we bring a lot in our ranks throughout 10, 11, 12, not only in professional teams, but if you bring a player from any amateur level, still his tactical awareness is has a certain foundation that when he comes in, in age 12 or 13, only in that time in a professional academy, the change is not so big to make still a chance in four or five years to make yeah. it into ranks. And yeah. that is, I think, lacking here again, do not know specifically, <coughs> but if I see it in what is coming in here, the teams also in a level of MLS Next, in ECNL, are playing very intense. You see a certain style that is based on very good things of the game, what you need, but to play in a different tempo, in things that are so important to make a difference towards Europe, yeah. That is that is the problem, or not well, the problem. We we talk often. A lot of a lot of uh, coaches that we've had on the show have independently brought up, uh, you know, the point of the four pillars, right? Uh, where you have uh, physical, technical, tactical, and mental. You know, in, in and how they evaluate players. And what I'm hearing from you is, I'm a thousand percent on board with because it sounds as if. Yep. In the Dutch system, there is a, an emphasis in the in the training to focus on tactical and really mental preparedness, right, for the game, so that you can be, to be taken into any environment and know how to play the game. And then I compare it to 
uh, say, Brazilian players, Brazilian systems. That's technical. They, they touch the ball so much. You know, they're so quick. Technical and tactical would be the two that they really probably thrive at. Here, it seems as if we're leading with physical. Physical. We have athletes. You know, we, we talk to scouts and they're like, you know, when, when they're looking at backline players, they're like, well, you know, we look at 6'2 and above and we start there. <laughs> There's not a lot of conversations about, you know, what style of player they're looking for. They're, they're looking for body types. Um, do, do you see that? Do you see that in our national team makeup uh, it, 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 where we have very, very physical players, large, you know, fast specimens. Um, but do, do you see a lack of technical and tactical skills on the field with the with U.S. players today at, at that highest level? I see. That is, that is the clear picture. And still, it's easy for me to say it is. But if you know a little bit more what is happening in Holland, in all over Europe, then that is, that is the simple reality what that means that I think in general the overall and I think coaches at uh, St. Louis Academy and in all the academies they will learn as well with going a little bit more I know now that for example that an Austin FC have now a connection with PSV Eindhoven so PSV Eindhoven will bring in coaches or other people that are connected with a certain department department in their academy, they come to Austin, will overlook a little bit the situation and give their advice. You know, that's one example. You know, probably also St. Louis City FC will have here or maybe in the, in the future another connection that started that type of information. I think that they will need to bring the youth structure in a certain different direction that tactical awareness and more recognizing that it is not only about the physical ability in terms of putting that into a scouting criteria or into any other uh, connection into the game, that is, that is key. I mean, one example then, if you look now to Jurian Timber, the central defender from the Dutch national team, yep. how tall is he? I think maybe 180 like my, probably, probably a little he, bit smaller. He's no he, Virgil van Dijk. He, no, but he is, I think, at least one head smaller than Van Dijk. Right. But Arsenal signed him for big money in a, in a Premier League because he is versatile. He can play in a three defenders system. He can maybe play as a right fullback. He can, you know, that's what he learned at Ajax when he finally joined, I think, in age 12 or 13. He came from Feyenoord Rotterdam. But his physical ability that was not the tallest, not the highest for a central defender. He has so many other tools that Arsenal is convinced that he can play Premier League. You know, it's one example that I'm saying, look yeah. a little bit longer than only height to put that in as a criteria for it, a central defender. It sounds a lot like universities in the United States in the last 10 years. 20, 30 years ago, you would go to college to get into a specific job. So job type training. Now the focus is on critical thinking so that you could be prepared for a job that might not even exist today. And what it sounds like, Jan, is what you're saying in the Dutch style and then other Europeans as well, is teaching that critical thinking and multi-ability so that you could play center back, but you could also play left wing if you had to, because you have the awareness to understand how to use your skills in different situations. Whereas here, in our experience, it's been pretty much teach to a style and teach to your position. 
And most clubs haven't given the, the kids the ability to be creative in another, in another environment. Meaning if you're a center back, like, like your son Beckett, mm-hmm. I think he'd be a dominant forward player, but he's not going to get that chance because he's labeled as a center back. And I think it would be interesting to see us shift that, not all the way against the physical, but take some points off the physical piece and, and add it over onto the critical thinking component in the mental side. I think that would make a difference. Yeah, for a lot I, of I will make one, one uh, not correction, but one addition to this. You know, and I was at Ajax in between 99 and 2003. I picked up a lot of things, you know, certain things that changed since 2003, so 20 years ago, big time, you know, to be a central defender and to play a left winger. That is a little bit a very big difference. <laughs> yes. You know, I must say that at, at the highest level. But I learned at Ajax, one, one example that we all know, probably this, this generation, that was Frank de Boer, who was a coach two years at Atlanta. Absolutely. So probably most of the listeners have yeah. heard about Frank de Boer. Frank de Boer, when he came at Ajax as an 11 or I think 10, 11 years old, he was a left winger, left winger, where he played in his amateur team. And, and down the line, you know, he was always a player that was not fully on speed. He had certain things. Two years later, he became a left half. Yes. And when he was finally 16, he played not anymore left half, but the coaches were saying and, and the academy uh, uh, director or the, the ones that decide about his future, let him play left back. Left back, he can play, he knows exactly when to go up, he can have a ball simple played into the midfield. And finally, he ended up in Ajax and as well in the national team, also in Barcelona, as a left-footed central defender. Because he could play, he was not the fastest, but he had always an eye for the right position in terms of what the situation was demanding. You know, and that is something what is still in Holland the key in terms of having a plan with a player. They are always looking a little bit further when he comes in as a left wing. It doesn't mean that when he is lacking speed or whatever that you kick them out because you, you look in what is still the contents of that player. He has an eye, he has a good pass, he's quiet on the ball. So again, I think that's a starting point. What is still here lacking a lot or not a lot, but still what is something that they need to have a certain pass and a plan still with the quality players in that younger age. Well, let me let me ask you this then. Uh, Looking for advice to a young player that that is super bored and listening to our show, because <laughs> you know how Fair. kids are. Um, if you were to point to film, because now n- nowadays the ability to go and watch YouTube clips or highlights or games, for that matter, and learn is infinite. You you can you can find anything out there. What would you advise, or who would you advise a young player to go on YouTube and Google their name? And who would you want them to watch, just as like, in your opinion, the pure player, someone to learn decision making from or style of play from? That is up to each individual in this situation, because, again, if you talk on, it's, it's hard to, to mention then a certain age of a player, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that a player that is starting into high school, you know, then you know already a little bit more how you're doing 
finishing middle school, coming into high school. Maybe high school is something where you're looking for. I think you have a lot of players here in CBC that will come into the school also because they think it's a good program finally in the four years on the soccer part. But anyway, then players, and that's always my, my, my advice, look into the mirror and look who you are, not only as a boy or a girl in, 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 in any case, but as well as a soccer player. Know what are your weaknesses, what are your strengths, what do you think, what do you think yourself is your best position. Have well, a reason, but I'm, I'm trying to yeah. say, to cut it a long story short, then for sure they are hopefully then interested and in having a little bit of an awareness of teams in Europe, probably teams here in America, still that is an option. And in that position, pick your favorite player. If I'm asking here, any player here at the moment, the camp, not the best or the highest level, but still everyone has in that way a favorite player, you know, and favorite player more than for reason that it is a little bit in connection with his own position. Sure. And then I'm saying, <clears throat> look to that favorite player a little bit what he's doing, YouTube him, you know, you can, I think you can learn from that. So, so I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy though. Uh, who's your favorite player? Like in your experience, your coaching history um, and your style, what player has influenced you the most in the, the way in which you train? And then it is still Johan Cruyff. Okay. If I can still say that, because Listen, he was, and, and, and everything has to do with personality, with being a leader on and off the pitch. I was uh, fortunate to have two or three times a meeting with him in those four years that I was Ajax, that he came in. He was at that moment advising the club a little bit, that, but then he, he likes to be part of a coach's uh, meeting, you know, or any other meeting. We had, I think, in the four years, three, three times a meeting where he was just being involved two or three times. He, he added something, he had a question, or he was also adding uh, another point. Um, but just outside meeting him, I think he was in such a way a leader in the overall soccer environment that I think that is also something what counts for me as, as, a, as a soccer coach now already for a long time, uh, to have that, for that reason, him as the most favorite player he's he's the golden child he's, yeah. <laughs> the, the he's your 10 he's the godfather <clears throat> that's awesome Jan this has been this has been fun this has been a lot of fun really really appreciate your time um, wish you the best of luck um, do you plan on coming back uh, next year year after I mean do you have a long-term plan to keep coming to St. Louis with with the with the camp thank you for the question thank you for the question why because as I mentioned earlier on, camps are going down. That's mm -hmm. reality. It has more reason. Uh, I don't know that the reason is that our camps don't have the quality. You know, everything has to do with timing. And, and I think uh, next week where we were running another week of camps was not an ideal week. So we had very late uh, uh, low numbers that we moved everything in one week. I like to return. I, I'm uh, turning 65 in October, but I said, if I look to the next three years being health and nothing else will happen, then I will have three more years and have 2026 as my final year to be on the ground here at CBC or anywhere else in St. Louis to help uh, high school coaches, any other clubs for running two more years 
Dutch-Dutch uh, activities. And that uh, in that year, hopefully, Dutch national team will play in the World Cup. And that another <laughs> two or three weeks, I can uh, enjoy probably some games in Kansas. That is at the moment my long, short-term plan. I That's awesome. That. Yep. Zach, what do you got? No, my, I just have one final thought. I want to throw this over your way, Jan. We've talked a lot about your experience in Europe, um, in Africa a little bit. If there was a question, that, was there a question that you were hoping we were going to ask you? <laughs> Is there something that you've been just dying to get off of your chest for an American audience specifically, not entirely, but mostly in St. Louis? No, I, I didn't. I... I I knew a little bit from Terry what I could expect, but I think it was a very uh, nice chat or podcast interview or talk that we touched a lot of things. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm coming here only three, four weeks already for uh, 16, 17 years. I'm in America since 1983. So I can say that in a certain way, I'm pretty experienced in the growth of American soccer in, in general, A. Sure in turning it from NASL. I saw games from the Cosmos in the, in the, in the mid-80s, oh, wow. you know. Uh, so in that way, now having a, a, a City FC game, I was there two weeks ago, was at the academy. I'm saying, you see still certain things are going step by step better into a good level. Right. That's one more important that I think I'm critical. I'm think I have a certain idea to say still there is something to change in or high school or what is the weakness of high school. So I hope we touched all the things that I at the moment did. still happening in and around St. Louis, mainly towards soccer. And that is for me the most important thing that I'm, I'm happy to be part of this thing as well. Well, we appreciate your time. I, have, much. I have two really fast rapid fire closing questions for you. Number one, Gouda versus American cheese. Which do you prefer? Gouda. Gouda <laughs> cheese. <laughs> Tougher one, Heineken or Budweiser? Budweiser. There we go. <laughs> now we can have you back. <laughs> Simple. I know what Heineken is. I know what Budweiser is. So I still go for the last one. <laughs> they, I love it. Jan, thank you for your time. This thank has you been, so much. This has been a blast, Zach. Thank you for uh, supporting uh, my nonsense today. And again, PSA, avoid Luke Combs' fast car at all <laughs> corners. <laughs> Thanks, Pinnacle Loan Thanks, Group. Everybody. Appreciate it. And we will be back next time. See you.